Well, hello, it's such a pleasure. It's such an honor and a privilege to get to, s to talk with you today. Um, I always tell people, you know, that I have a lot to say. Not everyone wants to listen, but I have a lot to say. <sighs> so let's pray. Dear Lord, we just ask your presence to be here. Holy Spirit, I need you to make the words come alive. And whatever is not of you and is just of me, let it fall to the floor. But Lord, let your glory be known because I know you have more for us. You always have more for us. So let us hear what you have to say today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, around this time of year, as you put decorating stuff up and you address your Christmas cards and you get ready for baking and, you know, all the normal seasonal things, don't you ever feel like there's a disconnect between the idea of Christmas and the reality of Christmas? Um, you know, I... We sing songs of like low, peaceful mangers and lowly cattle and um, shepherds gazing at the stars, right? We, we hear this like, oh, isn't that a wonderful thing? But then the reality is we're hustling and bustling and yeah, I think what peace. I, I see those Christmas cards, you know, may, I wish you the peace of the season. I'm like, what peace? <laughs> what peace is there? So. I mean, I don't have to tell you about this craziness because you live it. You're in the middle of it now, right? Week before Christmas, I got a text about, oh my gosh, I'm at the mall the week before Christmas. What was I thinking, right? And for those of you who have birthdays in December or anniversaries in December, on top of everything else, hats off to you. So what is peace to you? When you see that peace of the season thing, what does that mean? What do you think? Are you like, yeah, right? Or are you like, oh, I want that? What do you think? I asked some of my friends, um, and you know, what's peace mean to you? And I, I don't think it would be very surprising, their answers, you know. Peace is like quiet and calm away from the noise. Um, one friend said, it's when people leave me alone in the house. One person said the most peaceful place in my house is in the bathroom because no one bothers me there. Um, so peace is like away from the noise and the chaos. Does peace mean escape to you? Escaping from everything so we can experience peace, just be alone, be separated out, away from the turmoil, away from the drama? Some of you may remember, I know I'm dating myself, but some of you re may remember this bath soap commercial. Calgon, take me away. Some of you, yeah, see, you know. Basically, the world says that peace is when you get away from the pressure, when the pressure is off. So I looked it up. So the Oxford Dictionary has three definitions of peace. The first one, peace is a situation or a period of time in which there's no war or violence in a country or an area. So we know a peace treaty is often a fragile thing, right? It's momentary, it's temporary, and you know, you don't have to be a diplomat to know that often with peace treaties, there's some keeping the peace that requires you to compromise 
and may not satisfy either side, but it's better than full conflict, so we take the compromise. It made me think about Pax Romana. Have you heard of, do you remember from history, Pax Romana? It's that 200-year reign when Rome was the big power under Caesar over the region. For 200 years, they had peace, but they had peace through subjugation of the nations, right? Rome came in, they moved in, and military, they took over. And so the one power dominated the weaker power. That is how peace was gotten in that time. So worldly peace is the domination of the strong over the weak. Worldly peace is when one person or one group controls and manipulates another, that's no peace. That's counterfeit peace. It's in this Pax Romana that Jesus is born. And during this golden age of peace, Jesus is arrested, tried, beaten, and executed. It's not real peace. All right, then we have our second definition. Peace is a state of being calm or quiet. I would add that this is my definition of relaxation, away from the noise and commotion. I think we all know that one well. And then the third definition is peace is a state of living in friendship with somebody without arguing. You may have heard idioms like, hold your peace, hold your tongue, keep the peace. You've heard this, right? Do you have any relationships that you know of that you do not speak up? You hold your peace. I mean, we all know what it's like to walk on eggshells or to avoid rocking the boat and not saying what we think. Some of you might right now be on rocky terrain with a relationship and not know if you're gonna make it. And sometimes it's just easier, right, to hold your peace, to not say the things you want to at your house or um, at your job or at even church because that means conflict and ooh, no one likes conflict. You guys are so quiet. Are you okay? Okay, good. Last time I was, yeah. <laughs> so quiet. All right. So no one likes conflict, but does that really promote peace when you don't say anything? I would wager that by keeping silent, it can shut down reconciliation, because if I don't know what you're thinking or feeling, I can't meet you anywhere, because I don't know. In fact, when we stuff down our feelings and our ideas, what happens? Bitterness, resentment, anger can grow. I'm sure we've all had, can, can I say that we've all had that experience of like, when our fi voices finally do come out, usually they come out angry and hurtful. And I know this firsthand because I've been married for 20 years. And like most people in relationships, they know that there are certain things that easily trigger. And early on in my marriage, I decided that's how I was gonna keep the peace. I was just gonna hold it in and not say anything. And that way, no major arguments. <sighs> so how did that go? After a few years of that, stuffing it down, 
I became really angry and bitter and resentful and I realized I was miserable and we were on the edge of getting a divorce. So my husband didn't ask me to give up my voice. I did that willingly knowing that if I stop and I just hold it in, maybe that would bring peace. But the reality is that did the opposite. It stole the peace and joy out of my marriage and it didn't do at all what I thought it would do. And as a side note, there are people either in this room or in our lives who do not speak up because they fear abuse, right? They fear physical, emotional, verbal abuse. And if that's the case, I would say that's not peace. That's not what God wants. So I ask you to reach out to someone you trust, a pastor or a trusted coworker or a friend, but God has more for you. So where do we get this idea that Advent and peace and Christmas is a season of peace? So I think we first hear about this peace of the season idea from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah 9, 6, you've all heard this. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So here the prophet Isaiah is talking about this ideal king and servant of the Lord who will bring light to the nations, dispel the darkness, establish justice and righteousness. God's spirit will rest on him. (sighs) Yeah. On him both Israel and Gentile nations will know the Lord. And there are many titles given to this ideal king and servant, but today we're gonna look at the last one, Prince of Peace. Now, we Christians know that this ideal king and servant that Isaiah is talking about is none other than Jesus, the Messiah. And when you hear about Jesus as Prince of Peace, how do you picture him? Do you picture him ruling over a quiet meadow? Or inviting you to a nice sudsy bath? Or saying, come away from the chaos, let's go, let's get out of here? How do you envision Jesus as Prince of Peace? I couldn't think anything but there's gotta be more than this. Jesus as Prince of Peace has to be more than what I think peace might mean. And it doesn't take long for us in the story of Jesus to hear about peace. In fact, it's in the angelic announcement to the shepherds. After an angel of the Lord says that a Messiah is born in Bethlehem, a multitude of the heavenly hosts says in Luke 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And that's in the New King James Version. There's also another version, the uh, NIV says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And the third one from the English Standard Version says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So the announcement of Jesus' birth indicates that God in the highest heaven is glorified by this arrival of a baby and there is peace coming to earth. So Jesus is bringing peace with him and gives it to those he chooses on whom his favor rests and whom he's well pleased. So stay with me. 
because later in Jesus' ministry, in the Gospel of John, Jesus shares the Passover meal with his disciples and he instructs them about some things that are gonna happen before he gets arrested. So, we're gonna look at John 14. Jesus tells them in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. You've heard this, yes? Peace I leave with you, peace I give you, I do not give you as the world gives. Well, we have a good idea of what peace the world gives, one dominating the other, or one escaping the pressures of life, one keeping silent to avoid conflict. But Jesus says, I do not give you as the world gives you. So what peace does Jesus give, and what definition of peace does he mean? So I think it's helpful if we know what the Hebrew word of peace um, can tell us. So Hebrew is this wonderfully complex language and peace or shalom is a pictorial word. That means that each letter has a picture to it and a meaning that go together for a full definition. So if you read from right to left, you see the individual letters of shalom say, destroy authority attached chaos. So peace is to destroy the authority attached to chaos. Peace is an active force. It's a transforming agent. It's a weapon to destroy systems of chaos and evil because what is evil about destroying the order of God? So because of limited time this morning, I'm gonna talk about two examples of Jesus showing peace during his ministry. So if you have your pew Bibles in front of you, yes, we're gonna look at Mark 4. So in your pew Bible, it's 658. 658 is the page that has Mark 4 on it. Mark 4, and we're gonna start in verse 38, and this story you may remember when Jesus was sleeping on the boat and all the disciples were freaking out. They were having a violent storm and they were worried about drowning. So we're gonna pick up in chapter four, verse 38. The disciples woke him, Jesus, and said, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Then Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was perfectly calm. Everybody in the boat is in fear except Jesus. The storm sought to destroy Jesus, the lives of the disciples, the other boats. They were, the storm was trying to prevent them from getting to where their destiny was. But Jesus doesn't see the wind or the waves as a real threat. He just speaks peace into it. He speaks peace into the chaotic, dangerous situation with authority and the chaos subsides. Peace destroys the authority attached to chaos. What better picture than a violent storm to think about chaos? All right, so in your pew Bible, the very next chapter in Mark tells of another scene in chapter five. You may remember the garrison man, that one who was possessed by a legion of demons. Um, no one would, could get around him, no one could contain him. So we're gonna pick up in Mark 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of the man impure spirit. 
And jumping to verse 15, when the townspeople came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were very afraid. So again, everyone avoids this man except Jesus. Demons sought to destroy this man and abuse him. No one would get close. Jesus doesn't see these demons as a real threat. He speaks peace into this man's personal chaos and the chaos subsides. Peace destroys the authority attached to chaos. Let's look at John 16. I have told you these things, Jesus speaking, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So let's just pause here for a second. In me you have peace, you may have peace. How about in me you may have the authority to destroy chaos? It's a little different of a reading, right? Peacemaker in Greek is both a noun and a verb. As a noun, it means one who produces peace, and as a verb, it means explodes with energy and demands action. In Colossians 1.20, Apostle Paul tells us, Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. He made peace. He destroyed the authority attached to chaos. And in Colossians 2.13, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus did not come as a peace keeper to avoid conflict, to keep quiet, to tell us how to survive under the weight of sin, how to just get through this life. No, Jesus came as peacemaker. He made reconciliation possible as a way out of sin and our condition. He didn't stay quiet. He wasn't passive about it. He actually was the ultimate restoration of peace to our relationship with God. And because of his shed blood, all of us have access to forgiveness. He came to unleash the kingdom of God on this earth. He came to take back that which was stolen. He acted as his namesake, Prince of Peace. So if you remember, Jesus had earlier sent out the 72 into the region, remember that? In Luke 10, Whatever house you enter, begin by saying peace to this house. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. And then in the upper room, right before Jesus' arrest, Jesus gives them more instructions about peace. And that's where we come to John. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So that peace that arrived with Jesus at his birth is now available to those 72 and he's leaving it behind. So when Jesus left and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, he didn't take that peace back with him. He left it here for his disciples. 
He gives them instructions of how to step into that. He gave it to those whom he had chosen, to those on whom his favor rested, with those whom he was well pleased. He gave it to his followers. He gives it to us. Now, Apostle Paul mentions peace a few times. So let's look at Romans 16. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So if we replace the word peace with the meaning, the God of authority to destroy chaos will soon crush Satan under your feet. Doesn't that make more sense than like the God of quiet, calm moments will crush Satan? And then in Colossians 3.15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. All right, let's take a second here to say, as members of one body, you were called to destroy the authority attached to chaos. Apostle John says in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And what does the devil do more than cause chaos to your life? As a Christian, I want to follow Jesus, but if he is the Prince of Peace, what does that mean for me as a follower to serve and do what Jesus was doing? I want to destroy the chaos that the devil is wreaking havoc all over this region. So I wanna share just a few experiences I've had with the piece I'm talking about. So the first picture, this is Chester Crozier Hospital. I used to be a lay chaplain there, and if you wanna battle the enemy, a good place to start is at a hospital because it's full of illness and disease and decay and death. So my favorite place at Chester was in the ICU because it's, it's desperate. So, on my rounds, I would always look forward to going to the ICU and I would walk around the hallways and I would pray for peace. I pray for the release of the Holy Spirit to have his way, his kingdom of God coming to that place. And when I would show up, often it would be chaotic, like the nurses would be all over the place and you know things beeping all over and worn out families and you know the patients are in deep pain, right? They're in ICU, this is not a good place to be. And I was always amazed by how within a few minutes of me showing up and praying, everything would relax and release. It's not because I'm magic or I said some magic thing, it's because I am representative of the kingdom of God. I am a Christian who steps into that space and brings peace with me. And I would love that the nurses would ask me to pray for those people who needed divine intervention. They knew what was going on. All right, let's look at a second one. Pre-COVID, I served with a healing on the streets team with Blue Root Vineyard. Um, and on Saturdays, we would go pray for people just who are walking by. And on a particular day, I remember, and to be fair, on 69th Street Station, it's not unusual to hear shouts and profanity and those kinds of things. But on this particular day, there was a, a woman who I assume was homeless, I'm not sure. Um, she was yelling profanity and trying to start fights and she was partially clothed, which didn't help the whole situation. 
and immediately start praying, right? Lord, bring peace. Bring your spirit to this place. Now, she happened to walk straight, like right in front of me, and I don't normally do this, but I found myself saying, peace be with you. And I instantly was like, that's gotta be God, because I had not, I, I did, that was not from me. <laughs> I normally don't shout, you know, peace be with you to people drive, you know, walking past me. So that she goes past me, peace be with you, and you know what she did? She said, and peace be with you. And she walked away and we didn't see her the rest of the day. I know it wasn't me, I know it was the Holy Spirit that said that and she responded and everything quieted down. On the left you can see some pictures of our teams praying, but on the right, do you see that person's face? Connie? Um, one of the, my first times there, uh, I met and prayed with Connie. She had been in a car accident, and for 10 years, she had been in constant back pain. No one could do anything about it. So I asked to pray for her, and she, we prayed, and it was the first time in 10 years she was pain-free when she left. That's why she looks like that. I was pretty excited. I said, can I take your picture to record this day? <laughs> so it's on my phone, and whenever I see it, I think of that. All right, and the next slide, um, on the left you'll see my buddy Brian, who was a police officer and fell on ice, hurt himself so badly he could not walk without braces and crutches and wheelchairs, like he couldn't walk by himself. Um, and he had to stop at the police, working at the police firm, and um, police firm, you know what I mean. Well, we were at a Global Awakening event and I knew God told me he was gonna be healed. And sure enough, he walked out of that meeting without braces or crutches. And his wife, Meg, you can see their faces, right? Pretty happy. I saw him a few months later after that and he was still walking around and he said, my police friends, if they didn't know me and know the 10 years I had suffered, they wouldn't have believed me that God had healed me because it's so outlandish. And then on the right here, my friend Tracy, um, she was a dancer, was injured, couldn't dance, was in chronic back pain for 20 years. I'm noticing a theme of back pain. Um, there was a word of knowledge that God wanted to heal someone with back pain. She knew it was for her. She came up to pray, I prayed with her. She hasn't had back pain since, and that was four years ago. Friends, God is a God of peace that destroys chaos, not just mentally, not just emotionally, he does that too. Not just in our environment, but physically. I mean, what is illness except chaos to your body? It disrupts the harmony. What is the kingdom of God? It is harmony of all things working together as they should be working. So let me ask you, when you pray for someone, do you pray for God to just help them stand up underneath the weight? Or do you pray for the weight to be removed? Do you pray for them, oh Lord, we pray for them just to be tranquil in this time? No, you pray for whatever is broken, whatever needs to be fixed, that God would fix it. That God would come and make a way. But do you believe it? Do you know Ephesians 6? You know the armor of God passage? You like my little armor guys? 
Apostle Paul tells believers in Ephesians 6.15 to cover your feet in the gospel of peace. Gospel of peace is good news of the authority to destroy chaos. Paul Martini states it this way, no matter how we hold our shield or wave our sword, if you don't have shoes of peace, you're not going anywhere. If you don't have the authority to destroy the chaos, you're not going anywhere. Every Christian, all of us have been given armor. Now if we were peacekeepers, avoiding conflict, trying to keep everybody on the down low, we would not need armor, but God says no, you are to be in the middle of the battle, carrying the kingdom of God with you. We are in the middle of the conflict, bringing peace to where we are. We may think of peace as passive or quiet or an absence of conflict, but when I look at what scripture says, I see that peace has power in it. Peace is a weapon that advances the kingdom of God. Peace crushes Satan. And peace is a gift that we are given because Jesus came and gave it to us as his followers. And then we too can give it away. Our Prince of Peace has disarmed the powers and authorities of chaos and invites us to partner with him in dismantling the authority of this dark age. And there's no better way to gauge if you're growing in peace than if you're in a dark place. I think about the example of dark places like our missionaries in Lebanon and Syria who are in dangerous and desperate situations trying to bring the gospel to those areas that are resistant. I think about friends that I have in Bangladesh ministering to the Muslim refugees there. It's not an easy life. I think about pastors who plant churches in like the most dangerous places, the toughest neighborhoods. You can't help but be impressed by people who show up and do battle in the face of the enemy with God's word. So let's look at John 14 again. We're gonna add a verse. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. And adding verse 30, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. For the prince of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. Do you feel like he has a claim on you? The God of peace sent the Prince of Peace to bring the gospel of peace. Peace has come, Jesus has arrived, and now he has given us his peace. And when we have Jesus' peace, the enemy is terrified. And when we have the peace that Jesus has, all earth and heaven obey. I mean, do you know how to use your authority in Jesus to dispel the darkness? Isn't that, I mean, that's the kind of peace I want. Is that the kind of peace you want? Wouldn't it be great if every time you walked into the room, everyone felt a relief? 
that's the kind of peace I want, friends. And I encourage you to ask Jesus, how do I get that peace? If you haven't had that opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus to get the kind of peace he wants, this is your chance. And if you've been a Christian a long time, but you're feeling like, "Mm, I don't know, I'd kind of like to know what this peace is, but you haven't felt it, he's more than willing to show you. So as a response, um, I'm just trying to think of how I want to do this. Holy Spirit, what do you want? I had different ideas. You know how you have all these different ideas and then you're like, hmm. Oh, I love the bells. Is it dawning on you that he has more for you?